Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Long May Rain podcast. I'm Aiden, I'm your host for this podcast. So... It's fucking freezing in my room right now. <laughs> I am currently uh, wrapped up in a very fuzzy blanket in order to uh, stay warm during this episode. <laughs> because, uh, you know, the last few days were like really summery, like super nice. But like today, it is cold and it is wet and it's awful because like I'm kind of, I guess I'm, I'm not really that sick, technically. <laughs> um, so I got this like new anxiety medication to like help me and uh you know the doctor said that there would be side effects and I was like oh it's fine it (laughs) it wasn't fine um (laughs) the medication just like made me nauseous which I hate being nauseous like I can't tell you how much I hate the idea of throwing up so it like really freaks me out honestly it makes my anxiety worse so that's that's uh, nice and also I have an ear infection uh, and it's, like, one of those, like, inner ear infections that, like, makes your throat hurt, so it feels like I'm sick, but, like, I'm not actually sick, so it's been, <laughs> it's been an interesting week, um, doing this so far. Um, I just wanna, before we get into the episode, I just wanna thank you guys so much for getting us, like, well past 400 followers on Twitter, like, like, I put out the call for you guys to get it done before my anniversary, uh, which is the 14th. This will be going out the day before. Uh, and you guys fucking did it. You guys doubled it, actually. I, I Well, not not as in, like, doubled 400, but you guys got me to, like, 420, something like that. Anyway, it's amazing. Thank you guys so much. You're great. All right, getting on to the topic at hand, we are continuing with Mary Queen of Scots' life today. I hope you guys are excited to hear it. All right, let's get into it. Before we start, I want to apologize if I, like, run out of breath trying to do this episode because of uh, that aforementioned anxiety medication. It's also making me, like, really tired, so, like, I run out of breath easily, so (laughs) let's see how that goes. Anyway, all right, uh, before we get back into the story, let's just do, like, a quick recap of what happened in the last episode, you know, just in case uh, you forgot. So, where do we begin? Where do we begin? So, Mary Queen of Scots was born as her parents' only living child. Six days later, her father dies on campaign, probably from contaminated water, but, you know, who really knows? Uh, Right after that, she's crowned as Queen of Scots at just six days old. And because of this, King Henry VIII thinks he can be sneaky, so he makes a deal with Mary's regent to marry her to his son. And most people, you know, don't like this. So, they break off the deal, Henry gets pissed, and basically spends a few years trying to burn Scotland to the fucking ground. And uh, Mary's mother was like, yeah, this is not the best environment to raise my child. So, she makes a deal with the French for little Mary to marry the next king of France. So, she gets sent off at the ripe age of five, to live in France for the next next decade or so. While she's there, she picks up some culture, you know, doesn't get along with her future mother-in-law, is basically raised alongside her future husband. And finally, at 15, her and her hubby Francis get married at Notre Dame. And after only one year of being married, uh, uh, 
her husband's father, the king, gets killed in a horrible jousting accident. And at 16, she's suddenly queen of two countries. Um, her reign in France is pretty uneventful, other than her scheming uncles controlling her very, very young husband because he was a nervous 15-year-old who was a huge mama's boy, by the way. Uh, this lasts about a year until poor dear Francis gets an ear infection, like me, <laughs> and it ends up killing him. Um, and marries a widow at about 17 or 18, which, you know, sucks for her. And she tries to possibly find a new husband rather than going back to Scotland, but she has no luck on that front, so she decides to go back to her home country. But there's a bit of an issue since she's Catholic, and since her mother's recent death, her whole country uh, just became Protestant. Luckily, her Protestant half-brother is all ready to welcome her, so she packs her bags, and it's back to Scotland for her. Okay, let's get into the actual story. So... Mary officially arrived on Scottish shores on the 19th of August, 1561, and it was kind of a miserable trip, not gonna lie. Uh, there had been terrible weather pretty much to whole boat ride, and Mary showed up in Scotland, like, days before she was actually supposed to be there, and she also, like, landed, like, slightly in the wrong place, so basically Mary just, she had to, like, sit and wait around with, like, the townspeople, like, where she landed until, like, someone from her court, like, showed up to escort her. And her thing, so I'm sure that was awkward, like, just her chilling with the locals, being like, hi, I'm your queen. Um, eventually, Lord Argyle, Lord Erskine, and her brother James showed up, and after um, a nice meal, uh, they took Mary to her palace, which was, like, less than an hour horse ride away, so, like, hopefully it wasn't, like, too bad for her. I'm sure the boat ride was worse. Now... I'm sure at this point Mary was, like, pretty worried about how the common people and her government would receive her. After all, she had a lot going against her. She was of a different religion. And at this point, she was much more French than she was Scottish. Like, there was, like, a huge cultural difference. Like, she spoke French, and she had an accent. She wore French clothing, and she was used to French customs. She was basically a fish out of water in the country that she technically owned. Uh, but luckily enough, she was in for a surprise because the common people were, like, absolutely fucking ecstatic to see her. Like, parties were happening, bonfires were lit. Even her, like, biggest critics at the time talked about, like, how clearly happy everyone was to see her. Um, I actually read this funny story that on one of her first nights in uh, Scotland in her home of Holyrood Palace, a group of musicians uh, played outside her room for her all night. <laughs> because they wanted to show her like how happy they were that she was here and the next morning you know she like totally could have been a bitch about it and like told them to like never do that again but she actually um thanked them and said uh, she would love a re repeat performance sometimes sometime which you know was really nice for her. she could have been like totally mean and bitchy like after all she just had a really rough journey home so it's nice that she was nice to those musicians um, as much as many people were very excited to see her, that was not really everyone's opinion, uh, considering the religious situation was, like, a little tense. Like, you could cut that shit with a knife. Uh, like I said before, Mary was Catholic, and officially her country was now Protestant. But, luckily for everyone and for Mary herself, she was totally willing to compromise so that she could be free to practice Catholicism and so that her people, uh, could practice Protestantism. Protestantism. So, uh, in recognition of her being, like, tolerant, she issued a proclamation of toleration where all her subjects, Catholic or Protestant, would be able to practice without persecution. And, you know, this should have calmed everyone down since, you know, she wasn't gonna, like, go all, uh, Bloody Mary on, on these people. Um, hold on a sec. Drink. Anyway, 
still, there was one dude who had to be a fucking buzzkill about it, and that man's name was fucking John Knox. I hate this bitch. Um, I can say I don't really have the words to describe how much I fucking hate John Knox. Oh my god. You know, this man has been dead for, like, over 500 years, but, like, personally, like, to punch this motherfucker in the face. He's definitely on my fight list, and he's definitely going in the burn book someday. I've actually lost my burn book. I have no fucking idea where it is. I'm gonna have to find it so I can, like, you know, keep on adding people. Anyway, um, John Knox, he was a Protestant preacher who was a part of Mary's government, Uh, as a Protestant, and he was a hugely popular preacher, and you'd think, you know, he'd be happy about Mary being tolerant towards Protestants, but he wasn't, for these two reasons. One, he was incredibly devoted to Protestantism, and he didn't want to get along with Catholics, he wanted to destroy them. Uh, Two, this man was a giant misogynist. And I know what you're thinking, so what? All men didn't like women back then, what's the big deal? But, you know, John Knox, he was so much Worse, like, he was, like, a mega misogynist. He wrote this fucking pamphlet back in the day called The First Blast of the Trumpet Against the Monstrous Regiment of Women, where he basically argues that women ruling is against the Bible. And he specifically wrote it aimed at Mary's mother, specifically, who he never got along with the whole time she was regent. Also, he uh, directed it at the now, at this point, deceased Mary the First of England. Um... Because of, you know, the whole uh, burning people, <laughs> especially Protestants. Like, he didn't he didn't like them. And now with our Mary back, he didn't want to listen to the authority of a woman, no matter how tolerant she uh, was. And Mary couldn't have won with John Knox, no matter how you swung it. Uh, he literally preached about her all the time. Like, he was gossiping about her all the time. And Mary really hated it, because she was, like, she was trying. Um, so, she basically called in Knox to, like, basically put him in a timeout <laughs> and, like, to have, you know, talk, have a good talk. And, um, Mary directly complained to him and told him that he was stirring up her people against her, but Knox, he didn't give a shit. Basically, he said that he did not think she had any business running the country, and he said if her people accepted her and she did not bring the country to ruin, he would be content to live under her as St. Paul had lived under Nero, which is, a, you know, a bit of a dramatic comparison, uh, but, you know, let's, let's go with that, um, Knox, okay. Okay, uh, other than, like, you know, the whole religious thing that, uh, Mary had to deal with, Mary, she had other issues, and those issues was England and Elizabeth. Now, as we know, uh, Mary wanted to be named Elizabeth's heir, because she thought she had a good claim, on the English throne since her grandmother was an English princess. But Elizabeth, you know, she wouldn't budge on the issue, and she, like, kept leading Mary on. So, like, Mary was like, hey, Elizabeth, why don't we, like, set up a meeting so we can, like, actually hash this out together? And, you know, they wrote tons of letters back and forth. They were actually, like, really good pen pals. Like, it's pretty well documented, with Mary always, like, praising Elizabeth's intelligence and basically, like, sweet-talking her into getting them to meet. And at one point in 1562, it looked like the meeting was finally going to happen at the uh, northern English city of York. Um, Meanwhile, in France, um, a huge Protestant massacre perpetrated by her uncle, by the way, uh, made Elizabeth think twice about this uh, meeting. So Elizabeth decided to uh, prematurely cancel the meeting. And this was pretty much the last time either of them like even like got close to meeting. In In fact, they actually never met like ever 
which is like crazy to think about um because of like the rivalry like the famous rivalry between them and the fact that they never met is like crazy uh, but also, this would not be the last time the English secession would come up between the two of them, so, you know, like, just keep that in mind. Um, now, I know all this politics stuff is, like, probably kind of boring, so for fun, uh, why don't we talk about some of Mary's pastimes as Queen of Scotland and some of her beauty regiments, which I actually think are pretty cool. Uh, for example, she used to use white wine to wash her face. Uh, apparently, it acted like a toner, keeping her skin even and even and unblemished which i imagine must have cost a fucking fortune because you know wine is you know expensive um like i couldn't afford to uh wash my face in white wine i can barely afford to drink it you know um in terms of other pastimes mary was actually like super athletic for her time she loved um hunting and riding uh she even popularized golf which is really cool like and, you know, Scotland is already, like, pretty famous for golf now, so it's interesting that she popularized it. Um, other pastimes included archery and tennis. And, uh, you know, I think it, her court would have been, like, really cool, like, especially as, like, a young person. If Especially if you were super athletic, you probably would have gotten to spend a lot of time with Mary, like, you know, doing her favorite stuff. Okay, we got a little bit off track there. Uh, back to the story. So... Despite the fact that Mary was doing, like, a pretty good job ruling on her own for the first couple of years, she knew at some point she needed to get married and produce an heir. Uh, now, she had two options here. She could marry a foreign prince, but that might put that foreign country's interests in front of Scotland, which would be bad for her. Um, her other option was to marry a Scottish subject, which could also possibly lead to a lot of jealousy among her nobles. So, basically, she was screwed either way. Now, Elizabeth tried to offer her own suitor, and she suggested that Mary should marry an Englishman, and she offered this dude named Lord Robert Dudley. You know, this would have been, like, a fine match, but there were some issues uh, regarding uh, Robert. Uh, for one, his father and his brother had been executed as traitors, like, gosh, like a less than a decade before this. Also, like, Dudley may or may not have been Elizabeth's lover. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're not gonna unpack all of that in Mary's episode. We'll get to that one day when we do Elizabeth's episodes. Point was that Mary's government thought Elizabeth was, like, joking when she suggested Robert Dudley, but no, she was, like, fucking dead serious. Like, and Mary, you know, she was tempted, not because she liked Dudley or anything, but she thought that maybe if she did this for Elizabeth, Elizabeth would be more inclined to name her heir. But after a while, the idea fizzled out as Mary became, you know, less and less interested in Dudley. Well, he didn't really want to marry Mary at all, because he was probably still in love with Elizabeth if they were, in fact, together. So Mary was sent back to hunting for eligible Englishmen to marry, and that's when she met a certain Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley. So, let's get to know this dude. Now, he's more well-known by his title, so we'll just call him Darnley to keep it simple. So, he was the son of the Earl and Countess of Lennox, and, surprisingly, he actually had royal blood by his mother, uh, because his mom was also the, was the daughter of Margaret Tudor. Uh, so him and Mary were a uh, half first cousins, and he had a pretty good claim to the English throne himself. And he also had a distant claim to the Scottish throne, but that was a really important thing. The English claim was what made him valuable. If him and Mary got together, any kids they had would have a fantastic claim to the 
the English throne. So, you know, they started courting and flirting, and they seemed to get along pretty well. Darnley was tall, athletic, very well educated. Uh, also, he was about four years younger than Mary, which is interesting because, you know, usually um, it's the other way around. Uh, but the point is, it was going great so far, even though some of her government had some um, reservations about Darnley since his dad had sided with the English during the rough wooing. And some people had heard, like, not-so-great rumors about his character, but I, I don't really think Mary cared at this point, uh, because, you know, she needed a husband. I believe she <laughs> once called Darnley the lustiest and most well-proportioned man she had ever met, which is, you know, quite the compliment, so I think she was definitely into him. But there was a bit of an issue in Mary courting Darnley in the fact that Elizabeth was not happy with them courting at all. And Mary was like, well, you asked me to marry an Englishman. That's what I'm doing. And Elizabeth was like, well, yeah, not that one. You can't have him. But Mary was, like, not having it. She knew that her and Darnley were something, and she wanted him. And she knew that Elizabeth would be afraid of her and him if they got together. So she was determined to get married to this man. Uh, and because of this, Elizabeth sent Darnley's mom, uh, the Countess of Lennox, to the tower and officially forbade Mary and Darnley from getting married. Still, despite everything against them, Mary wanted to marry him desperately, and on the 20th of July, 1565, she and Darnley were officially married. But this did not go down well with most of her council, who were mostly Protestant, including her half-brother James. He was probably just upset he was losing influence at court, uh, probably not about uh, Darnley in general. Also, uh, side note, there was also a little bit of confusion on Dar Darnley's uh, religious allegiances, because while his parents had sided with the English during the rough wooing, they were never, like, officially Protestant, and it's because of all of this that uh, Mary's brother, uh, because he was bitter <laughs> about uh, losing influence, he started a rebellion. Now, this is one of my favorite re rebellions, probably, like, in history, because it's called the chase about rebellion, because no actual battles happened. Mary basically spent, like, a bit of time chasing her big brother around the countryside until he eventually slipped over the English border into exile, and uh, they didn't see each other for quite a while after that. I'm sure Mary was, like, pretty upset about this. After all, her brother had been, like, her biggest supporter at the start. And, you know, he was her brother, but as it turned out, he and pretty much everyone else was very right about Darnley in the first place, and she probably should have listened to them, and probably should have listened to Elizabeth when she threatened uh, them getting married. But unfortunately, Mary found that out way too soon. Darnley was a drunk. He was always asking for more money than Mary could even give him. Also, he was bugging the shit out of the fucking Scottish Parliament for the crown matrimonial, which meant that if Mary were to die without uh, giving him any children, Darnley would be the legal king instead of just, like, a dowager king. Not to mention, he was also shaking off his duties as king by going and hunting. But in good news for Mary, uh, she was pregnant, so at least one thing was going right for her. Okay, I hope you guys like the happy news that Mary's pregnant at this point, uh, because it's about to get a lot worse for her. Now, uh, it's time to get into one of the biggest events in Mary's life, and that is the murder of David Rizzio. So, let's set the scene by telling you 
who David Rizzio was. So David Rizzio was an Italian court musician who had worked his way up in Mary's court and at this point was one of her best friends. And eventually he was promoted to her private secretary, which led to unfortunate and awful rumors that they were sleeping together, which in my opinion was pretty unlikely. It was most likely more of like a brother-sister relationship than a sexual relationship. In fact, if you want uh, more likely rumors, it's a lot more likely that Darnley may have been sleeping with Rizzio. I don't know how true that rumor is. That's just what I've heard. And I've seen it like regurgitated in a lot of Mary Queen of Scots stuff. You never know. Anyway, the point is that some people thought that maybe Mary was pregnant with Rizzio's child, and her counsel at this point was already turning on her, probably because of John Knox. Um, and they very much wanted her to suffer, so they started hatching a plot to murder Rizzio. Now, the council knew Darnley was jealous of Mary and Rizzio's friendship, and they also knew that he was a drunk with weak character. So they got him to sign their pact to kill Rizzio. On March 12, 1566, Mary was having a dinner party with one of her other half-brothers and one of her half-sisters, her ladies, the four Marys, and Rizzio, when suddenly Darnley came into the room. And before Mary could, like, really ask him, like, what, what are you doing here? What do you want? Uh, one of her counselors, Lord Ruthven, burst in, clad like head to fucking toe in armor, and said that Rizzio had to come with him right now. Of course, Mary, like, refused because she was like, no, that's my friend. He's here on my invitation. But apparently they weren't there to negotiate. Darnley grabbed Mary and held her while the rest of the conspirators burst, in burst into the room. And one of them actually ended up pointing a pistol at her stomach while she was, like, fucking, like, eight months pregnant. Like, what? So she really couldn't do much for what was about to happen to poor Rizzio next. Now, Rizzio was dragged out of the room. However, at one point, he did manage to grab Mary's, like, skirt for, like, a second to, like, try and stop it. But eventually, he did let go. Uh, when he was taken into the other room, he was stabbed, like, several times. And outside the room, Mary screamed for them to stop. And finally, uh, the conspirators, to implicate that Darnley was, like, 100% involved, they used Darnley's dagger last to stab Rizzio. After they uh, cleaned up the mess, suddenly Mary was in a castle with a whole bunch of people who fucking hated her guts. And anyone who did like her at this point had already escaped, including a certain Lord Bothwell, which is a name you might want to keep in mind for later, just saying. Now, immediately, Mary started planning her next move. She knew that Darnley was the weak point in these guys' plans. Sure, he was a fucking jerk, but he was also emotionally vulnerable, and Mary knew that. Basically, she convinced him that she knew it wasn't his fault and that it totally wasn't on him that Rizzio was dead. And if she could just get out of here, she would pardon him and anyone else involved. Now, meanwhile, Mary's brother James showed up. It's unknown if he was involved in the conspiracy, but considering he showed up so fast from England, it's fairly suspicious and like he totally might have been involved in the planning. But when Mary saw her brother, she didn't care whether or not he had been involved in this she missed her brother and she ran into his arms the minute she saw him uh but after that she decided to plot her escape plan uh she claimed to feel labor pains and went back to her room but later that night mary and darnley slipped out of the palace thanks to the castle staff's help they got some horses and rode 25 miles to dunbar castle now may i remind you mary was very very pregnant at this time and she was like really struggling with the pace they were doing um, but luckily they ended up making it to Dunbar Castle with, like, no miscarriage, which was great. Uh, from there she was able to communicate with her lords, at least the ones who liked her, and within two weeks she was safely back in Edinburgh as if none of this had ever happened. 
And her brother was back with her, and he was also now one of her top advisors. So, like, yay, reconciliation. And pretty much everything was turning up Mary. Uh, and she wanted to keep it that way. So she decided that she needed to put on a good face about her marriage and, you know, just kind of deal with it. Because clearly it would be helpful and would probably keep her more secure if she was nicer to Darnley. So, you know, people didn't exploit him and use him for murder conspiracies. Okay, guys, it's time for baby. Baby, baby, baby. <laughs> on the 19th of June, 1566, Mary gave birth at Edinburgh Castle. And it was... A really really tough labor like people were like fairly worried that she was gonna die but eventually she did make it and she gave birth to a very very healthy baby boy yeah now i imagine she was ecstatic after all you know she'd done her one job as a woman in this time period on the first try and also her baby was pretty healthy so you know double win um the baby was christened a few days later and they named him james after mary's father and brother and like almost most of the Stuart Scottish kings, like a lot of them were named James. Um, after a few months at home, uh, little James was sent away to Stirling Castle, as was tradition, so he could be raised and educated. Now, you'd think everything would be great for Mary right now, right? So her country and government had like finally fucking settled down. She had a son. Nothing could be better for her, except Darnley was ruining it. Um, even though uh, Mary was trying to put on a brave face about her marriage, Darnley was being his old embarrassing self, and it was driving Mary up the pr proverbial wall, so she wanted to do something about it. Now, the events of the next few months are fairly disputed to this day. Still, we do know for sure that Mary had a meeting with her lords in November of 1566 to discuss how to deal with a divorce from Darnley, and we're pretty sure this happened. Now, she definitely could have gone all Henry VIII and had Darnley exiled or even, like, killed legally. However, she didn't want to cause a huge scandal, and she didn't want to endanger her son James' legitimacy, so she decided to scrap those ideas. Now, some people believe that Mary and her lords plotted to kill Darnley at this meeting, but we cannot be 100% sure about that. A few months later in January, Mary was being, like, weirdly nice to Darnley, like, much nicer than she had ever been to him, like, ever. And, uh, at one point, Darnley, he had gotten sick with something, probably, like, syphilis, because he had been sleeping around. But Mary was, like, really attentive to him, and he even agreed to, like, come back to Edinburgh, because they were, like, living separately. And he ended up making a stop at this place called Kirko Field. Um, and Darnley was there so, that, like, he could rest, because he was still sick, and Mary came over to check on him, like, all the time while he was there, but, uh, one night while she was visiting Darnley, suddenly she remembered she had, like, promised to attend someone's wedding, so she, like, had to leave, but she was like, it's, it's okay, I'll be back in the morning, see you soon, so Darnley was like, alright, see you tomorrow, but he didn't know yet, but, uh, the only thing he was gonna see the next day was God himself, um, <laughs> Okay, so let's set the scene of this fateful night. It's February 10th, 1567. Darnley is sleeping when he gets woken up in the middle of the night by some weird noises. He decided to get out of there, get out of Kirko Field via his bedroom window, because he was suspicious. But he didn't make it that far. A huge explosion by some gunpowder that just, you know, happened to be placed under his bedroom exploded. And it completely collapsed the house, but amazingly, didn't kill him. He made it out, but while he was trying to get away, because, you know, the house was on fire, uh, somebody strangled him and left the body there. <laughs> now, it's unknown how much Mary knew about Darnley's murder. Like, did she plan it, or was it her lord's? Like, who did it? Like, 
I'm, I'm personally of the opinion that she, like, knew it was going to happen, but for, like, plausible deniability's sake, she was probably like, okay, do it, but keep the details to yourself. I don't want to be involved. Now, I love Mary. I think she's a cool historical figure, but, God, she did not handle the fallout after Darnley's death well, and, like, it pisses me off how poorly she handled it all, and if she had handled it better, like, no one would have suspected her. Right after Darnley was killed, that guy, Lord Bothwell, was accused, like, right off the bat, after all, he and Darnley had, like, butted heads a lot, um, and if Mary had been smart, she would have been a lot harder on Bothwell, and, like, went right after him. Uh, because of the exact accusations, but she didn't. In fact, she did not even try to find out who killed Darnley, and a lot of people think it's because uh, Mary was sleeping with Bothwell, and we'll discuss that in a minute. Now, eventually, after Darnley's parents begged Mary, uh, Bothwell was put on trial in April, but it was, like, one of the, like, shittiest trials ever, and Bothwell got, like, acquitted pretty quickly. Like, there was... (laughs) It was a kangaroo court. And not too long after that, Mary gave Bothwell some land grants, which looks, like, fairly suspicious. Like, here's payment for, like, murdering my husband. But who knows? Maybe he was, like, blackmailing her. With We just don't know. That's, like, the, the huge problem in this. So, now, it's time to talk about a really fun subject, abduction. So, for context, Mary, uh just after uh, her husband and killed, was visiting her son James at Sterling Castle. And, you know, she must have been, like, paranoid because when she left uh, to go home, she begged the Earl of Mar, who was uh, little baby James's guardian, to keep him safe. Now, on her way home, she was abducted by Bothwell and taken to Dunbar Castle, where he probably raped her. Uh, Now, no one's sure if Mary was compliant in the abduction so that she could, like, marry... Bothwell. Still, it didn't really matter because they did end up getting married on the 15th of May, um, 1567. Um, though, beforehand, they did have to wait a few days because, uh, you know, surprise, Bothwell was already married. Uh, he actually had to attain a divorce from his first wife before they were able to get legally married, but after that, it was, like, all pretty fine in terms of legality. Uh, on the other hand, it was, like, a pretty unpopular move. Bothwell, no one fucking liked this dude. And based on what I read from the public to, uh, court documents, everyone hated this dude. No one wanted him married to Mary. And they tried to get her to divorce him, but she wouldn't do it. So the lords took matters into their own hands and basically started a full-scale civil war. Fuck you, Mary. But Mary didn't want to fight, so she tried to sue for peace. Uh, The nobles uh, let Bothwell go, as per her terms. But this was the last time Mary would ever see Bothwell. Like, their marriage did not last long. Eventually, he would end up in a Danish prison. Like, he was, like, chained to a pole in Denmark. And they ended up never getting a divorce, so, like, technically... Bothwell was, like, her longest-lasting husband. Like, they were technically legally married for a very long time. Like, it's crazy. Now, once the uh, lords had captured her after uh, starting their civil war, uh, they handed uh, handed her over to her half-brother's mother for safekeeping. And she was not treated well under their care, unfortunately. And it's because of this treatment that she ended up miscarrying twins um from bothwell obviously and it left her in like a really bad sweet state she was like really weak from the loss of blood and uh because of this her lords took the opportunity to like bully her into signing abdication papers to give up her throne which you know she did because she was sick and weak and like people were like probably yelling at her uh and 
But later, Mary would say these documents were invalid because she was forced to sign them under duress, which is, like, a totally legal argument. Um, after this, the Lords moved to have Mary's one-year-old son, James, crowned, uh, with Mary's brother acting as regent. But eventually, Mary recovered from the miscarriage and was able to escape the castle by uh, charming some of the people who lived there to let her out. And when she escaped, she found a decent base of support and, you know, rallied her troops to defeat her rebel lords and her brother and put her back on the throne. Now, despite having the better army, uh, she unfortunately lost really badly and she had to flee the battlefield and now she was on the run runaway queen now at this point mary had three options her first was that she could roam around the highlands and try and gather more troops again the second option was that she could flee to france because her brother-in-law charles you know he was still king they were very good friends totally would have been a fine option however mary chose her last and arguably her worst option she decided to flee to england and ask her cousin elizabeth for protection now, to this day, no one is sure what possessed her to go to Elizabeth first. Maybe she thought Elizabeth would put old rivalries aside at this point and act, you know, cousinly. But, in my opinion, this was a very stupid assumption. The minute Mary entered English soil, she would never know another day of freedom again. Mary's first stop in England was the house of Sir Henry, Henry Kerwin, who took her up to Carlisle Castle, where she would be more comfortable. And the guy who was the steward of the castle, you know, treated her very well, according to her position as queen, which gave Mary hope that... Elizabeth would treat her well. Meanwhile, in London, Elizabeth and her lords were, you know, trying to figure out what to do with Mary. Um, Elizabeth's first reaction was to, of course, help a fellow monarch, but she slowly realized that helping Mary would mean going against the Scottish Protestant government, and it would also mean helping someone who had been threatening her throne for years at this point. So Elizabeth decided to put Mary on trial instead, and they used a series of letters known as the casket letters, which were apparently love letters between Mary and Bothwell, even though no one was sure if they were real or not. Uh, Mary was never formally charged with anything at this trial, so she was sent to Bolton Castle under the supervision of Sir Francis Nollies, who helped her, uh, surprisingly, he helped to learn English, since for the most part she spoke French and Scottish, like her English was like, eh. Um, while she was there, she actually became good friends with the Duke of Norfolk's sister, who at this point was uh, secretly being suggested as a fourth uh, husband for Mary. Now, after a while, she was moved to George Talbot's supervision, who happened to be married to this really cool lady named Bess of Hardwick. Now, Bess of Hardwick, she was, like, married, like, four times, and she was one of the richest women in England because, you know, her husband's Kevin Nye. And, you know, she was so totally cool, I can't wait to do an episode on on her one day. Anyway, uh, while Mary was kept there, uh, you know, at first she was treated well. She had all her servants. She could write letters. But when Elizabeth found out about Mary's possible plans to marry the Duke of Norfolk, she, like, flipped. Elizabeth sent Norfolk to the tower and the Talbots uh, had to cut Mary's staff and restrict her access to, like, pretty much anything that made her happy. She was still fairly comfortable, but she was, like, much more of an obvious prisoner now. The only highlight was that, uh, after her, uh, brother had been killed, her ex-father-in-law had been made regent, and he was letting Mary send gifts to her son James, which her brother hadn't been letting her do. Now, over the next few years, tons of people, like, organized plots to free her, like the Rodolfi plot, which involved an invasion by the Duke of Elva, who is Philip II of Spain's lieutenant in the Netherlands, and the Netherlands is obviously very close to England. Um, and those people were meant to meet a Catholic uprising, which would then place Mary and uh, the Duke of Norfolk on the English throne. Uh, but unfortunately, the 
plot never went through, like it didn't get that far, and uh, Norfolk was executed for being involved in the plan. Okay, so speaking of plots, we're actually going to like skip ahead about like 18-ish years to talk about like one of the most famous uh, escape plots with Mary, because you know, like most of her like time in prison by Elizabeth is like fairly boring and like I don't want to go through like every single detail for you guys and I I don't want to bore you so we're just going to skip ahead about 18 years to the Babington plot. Now Mary had been locked up in England with like no hope of ever going home now that all the people she trusted were not in charge of her son anymore at this point. Uh, She had been moved around from person to person and as always another plot to free her was being cooked up but unfortunately this plot would cost her everything. Like I said before, this was called the Babington Plot, and here's basically what happened. A group of young men, led by this dude named Anthony Babington, a Catholic gentleman from Derbyshire, who had been a page in the Talbot House while Mary was there, had the idea to assassinate Elizabeth and put Mary on the throne. He started sending secret messages to Mary, telling her that he wanted what he wanted to do, but he didn't but what he didn't know was Elizabeth's spymaster uh, was reading all of them, and he was just, like, waiting for Mary to incriminate herself. And unfortunately, she made this, a stupid mistake, and she did. Now, the words that were the nail in her coffin were, let the plot commence. It was not 100% proof because she wasn't asking about details and, like, never technically agreed. But it was good enough that she basically killed herself without even knowing it by writing those uh, four words. On the 21st of August, 1586, Mary was riding outside Chartley Castle while she was being locked up, and on her ride, a man who worked for Elizabeth rode up to her and officially charged her with treason and conspiring against the Queen. Now, the others involved in the Babington plot were also tried and murdered, uh, very gruesomely, I might add. Uh, Meanwhile, Mary was sent to Fotheringay Castle where she would be tried for treason, but the, the whole trial was basically a fucking scam, just like Bothwell's trial murder trial for Darnley. Mary was given no time or help to come up with a defense. She couldn't call witnesses, and her only defense was that Elizabeth could not put her on trial since she was not English, which is a fair defense since it was, like, totally fucking correct. None of this was legal at all. But Elizabeth, she didn't give a shit. She was scared of what the uh, Catholics and Spain might do if she didn't get rid of her biggest Catholic threat, like, right the fuck now. So the trial still went ahead. Eventually, they found her guilty of treason and plotting the queen's death, and she was sentenced to die, but it actually took quite a while for this to happen. Uh, Even though a death warrant had been drawn up, like, pretty quickly after she was sentenced, Elizabeth was, like, hardcore procrastinating on the issue. Like, and there's been a lot of reasons suggested for why she was delaying Mary's death. Some people believe that she genuinely felt bad about killing Mary because, after all, that was her cousin. Uh, Some people think she was trying to make herself look good by being hesitant, but in my opinion, I think she was kind of, like, grappling with the idea of killing another monarch. After all, Elizabeth, at this point, had spent her whole reign avoiding death just to prove her legitimacy and that a woman could rule effectively, and here she was about to send a fellow queen to death for basically doing the same thing. Eventually, Elizabeth did sign the death warrant, and even then, she told the guy who was supposed to give it to Parliament not to deliver it, uh and, like, act as if it hadn't been signed. But it ended up getting there anyway, and Mary was told on February 7th that she was to die the next day. Now, Mary refused the services of priests, and instead she spent the night writing her will to her ex-brother-in-law, King Henry III of France, who was now king of France after his brother Charles had died. Uh, She was probably 
uh, hoping that he would make sure she was buried in France, which she asked for and included in her will. Now, the next morning, her ladies helped her dress, and she went to the scaffold that had been erected in the Great Hall. Uh, the executioner begged for her forgiveness, which was tradition. She, of course, forgave him, uh, but before she knelt down on the block, her ladies removed her dark black dress, uh, revealing a blood-red petticoat on it, and red is actually the color of a martyrdom. Basically, she was making this, like, very large political statement before she died. Now, I think we have this, like, romantic idea of Mary's execution, mostly because of movies. You know, generally, the music swells dramatically, and, you know, Mary dies in, like, one fell chop. But it didn't happen that way in real life, oh my god. It actually took three hits to kill her, because, surprise, an axe is an awful way to kill someone, unless you're, like, really strong and have good aim. So, the first hit got her in the back of the head, rather than her neck, and people who were, like, watching this execution saw her mouth, uh... Like, she mouthed the words, sweet Jesus, because, you know, it was probably painful. Uh, the second did get her neck, but it didn't cut all the way through. Uh, but the last one completely severed her head. And when the executioner went to lift up her head to, like, show the crowd, it dropped to the floor because, surprise, Mary had been wearing a wig. And everyone saw that Mary's hair had been graying and falling out, even though she was, like, only in her late 30s. Um... Also, sad side fact, if you love dogs, uh, Mary's uh, dog had actually been hiding under her skirt the whole time, and the poor thing started to get upset when he realized, when he came out from under her skirt and realized what happened, which is, oh, that's so damn sad. When Mary was finally dead, her request to be buried in France next to her first husband was unfortunately denied by Elizabeth, and instead she was buried at Peterborough Cathedral with a Protestant service, which sucks. Also, I think, I believe, I can't remember... Catherine of Aragon was also buried there, so, like, that's interesting. Um, later, when Elizabeth eventually died in 1603, and uh, Mary's son James became king of England, like Mary had always wanted him to be, James had his uh, mother moved to Westminster Abbey, closer to where Elizabeth was buried. And her son James started the Stuart dynasty in England and had a pretty successful reign as king. Uh, we'll probably talk about him one day when we do his wife, Anne of Denmark, so you'll get to know a lot more about adult James someday. Okay, time to get into legacy. Now, in my personal opinion, Mary's legacy starts and ends with her son, James. Like, she put all her hopes and dreams into her, her one son who got taken away for, from her, and he achieved exactly what she wanted, and, you know, she wasn't even there for it. But I think she would have been, like, totally super proud and excited that everything she did got her son to that point. Because even though she can be there for him in most things, everything she did for him was for his future because she loved him and wanted him to be great. All right, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this two-parter. Bye! Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMayShereign2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.